Welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And last weekend we were running 100 miles along the Thames Path. And that's what this is all about. This is Runners on Trail, episode 8. So here we are, a week after the Centurion running Thames Path 100, and it was an interesting race. It was interesting. I think between us, we had quite a rounded experience of all the people taking part. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Different experiences for both of us. What we both got to experience, though, was the heat of the bank holiday weekend. It was very hot. It was indeed. So what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to run through the basic race for you. We've got some trail talk that both of us recorded while we were running and we'll also talk about what we thought was good and bad about the race yes so look Thames Path 100 run by Centurion Running they've got an awesome reputation in the UK and what's important for us it was important for us was that the Centurion Running 100 milers are the ones that are recognized by Western States as being their qualification races and that was the reason we were doing Thames Path 100 yeah so it's an interesting race in that it is effectively totally flat. There are a few hills and bumps. Yeah, it's 2,000 foot of elevation, but mostly that's done just crossing bridges and stuff. And there's a couple of hills, but uh, then you go up like four or 500 feet or so. Yeah. But the interesting thing looking at it is that the course record for the Thames Path 100 is slower than the course record for the South Downs Way 100. Yeah, it's just just weird isn't it that that would be the case but because um south downs way has got like 16 12 16, foot of climb on it it's got a lot yeah but i think that tells therefore in the type of race that it is and the way yeah. that you need to approach it yeah when it's flat when do you run when don't you run and it's a very repetitive motion as well so. yeah so Thane stayed at my place in london on the friday night the race on the saturday and then we traveled on the district line to richmond at the start of the race and here's us chatting it through as we poodle along the district line so it's about half past seven in the morning and Thane and I are on the district line heading out to Richmond how are you feeling mate? so sad <laughs> yeah I, I'd kind of be lying if I said I'm looking forward to it at this point it's just I, I'm just filled with a little bit of dread now about how bad it's going to be I'm not done 100 miles you have so there you go in the balance for me possibly a little bit above neutral, but yeah. <laughs> you're, also, you're also a little bit above neutral, so technical about it. Have feelings, man. <laughs> I smelt your feelings this morning. You're, you're <laughs> clearly worried. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but the sun is out, it's shining, it's not going to rain. Uh, it could be a lot worse for us running today, although it's going to be hot, which will bring its own challenges. We'll see. So there you go. Uh, you were nervous? I was slightly nervous. I mean, I've done two 100 milers before. I was slightly apprehensive. I've not done much training. And I guess the, the the flatness of the run as well, knowing that it was going to be a run, walk, run, walk strategy and how that was going to play out in the heat. So I think I was um, managing how I felt. And I was nervous not having not done a 100 miler before, really didn't know what to do. And, and I'd planned this 25-minute run, five-minute walk strategy at six miles an hour yeah. and seeing how long I could keep it going. And then I'd made lots of contingency strategies, well, not lots, a few contingency strategies in my head about how I could drop it down to 15 minutes running, five minutes walking, 10 minutes running, five minutes walking, and was keen to see how that was going to go. Because it was so flat, you had to build in some yeah. walking time. Yeah. You can't run for 24 hours no, totally, no. unless you're an elite. And our plan at the start was we were going to run as much as we could together. And if yep. that was all 100, it was. I don't think neither of us thought that would be the case. No. But we want we wanted to start together and get into that routine. Yeah. Which and then, we did. And then using the sort of, but if it didn't feel good for either of us, we'd just carry on going whatever pace we wanted to go and not worry about trying to hang together. No, you've got to run your own race. Yeah. And that very much for me was both a pro and a con through. And we'll hear about that later on, I guess. Yeah. So we went down to the start, to the kit check at Richmond. Centurion Running have got a great reputation for uh, organisation. And do you know what? It, it was pretty well laid out in Richmond Hall. But here's where we come, I think, to one of the things that we were slightly disappointed by in the race. Steve Cousins spoke last year when he did Wendover Woods that the kit check wasn't as thorough when he did it as it had been before. And we were surprised that the kit check wasn't 100% kit check. They asked to see our survival blanket, our thermal top for the night, and our head torches 
And that was it. And I asked, did I need to carry everything that was on the compulsory kit list? And the person checking my kit said, absolutely, you did. They were just doing a spot check. Yeah, which is very clear in the instructions. And yep. they have videos online of them being very specific about what's acceptable and what's not in case you're in any certainty. And we went and made sure all of our kit met it. In fact, that was the reason for me buying my new top. <laughs> exactly. So what I found slightly disappointed was then having sat down and repacking bits of my kit, the kit checker next to me when someone said, oh, I don't want to carry all the kit, I can't fit it on myself, they went, oh, don't worry about that. Just stick some of it in your drop bag and pick it up at 50 miles. And there were some people clearly running in race vests that had literally no rucksack on the back. They had a thermal top, a warm top tied around their waist. They had their water up front, but they clearly didn't have a coat um, and clearly didn't have other items to the compulsory kit. I think if you're going to have a compulsory kit list... You need to rigorously enforce it. And that's what Centurion have done before. And they had a reputation for it. Yeah. And if not, disqualify people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when it's that, when it's absolutely 100% or nothing, yeah. it's clear for everybody. A mandatory kit list. The that's right. says what it is. I didn't need to carry a waterproof coat. And if they told me I didn't need to, I wouldn't have carried it. Yeah. It was always going to be a hot day. It was never going to rain. I had a, thin, a, a thin Pertex layer anyway that I use when I run at night. Yeah. And I just wouldn't have carried my tape seams waterproof coat. There's always people who've got who've compressed it down a lot. Yeah, you sure. Do the mandatory kit list and keep it in a small pack. Absolutely, you can. But there were people there with basically like some kind of sub one liter thing, or not just a bum bag, you know, re- hardly anything. Yeah. And I was thinking, there's no way yeah. <laughs> they got the stuff in there. So look, you know, as I said we're not complaining about the kit list. We just think people should be uh, rigorously enforcing it if they're going to do it. That said, down at the start, we stood. Uh, uh, down at the waterfront at Richmond it was lovely really great atmosphere mm, gorgeous um, yeah and um, Fane did some recording before the start of the race so here on the river just done kit check bag drops everyone sat sat down down on the grass or getting down having done the kit check Andrew's going to pop along in a second which is really good uh, Andrew Link who ran Cotswold's Way Century with He's coming along to uh, cheer us off, which is really nice. And later in the race, about 85 miles, Marcin from um, Cotswold Way Century as well. Um, he lives in Oxford, so he's um, backtracking, going to run the last 15 um, miles with us, which would be great. So looking forward to that. That's good motivation into the end bit. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, usual level of excitement and apprehension on the start line. Um, but, yeah. A lovely day it might be a bit warm but you know what the weather's consistent and that's uh, I think that's a good thing yeah being able to optimise the kit around it my backpack still looks big compared to lots of other people's but um, hey hum got everything I can possibly need so that's kind of reassuring so uh, yeah looking forward to the start so I think we were both pretty positive you were definitely positive before the start of the race it felt positive it was going to be warm but we had a strategy and it was going to work well hopefully start the race good race briefing i thought beforehand from the guy running the brief you noticed something that you hadn't noticed before when he did it which was about the cutoffs yeah and, and i'm a bit angry about myself for not having spent more time preparing for the race and doing stats the cutoffs are done on an average pace so take the 100 miles divide it by 28 hours that sets all the cutoffs yeah and um, in some ways that's not unreasonable it's a flat course yeah. and if you and there were some people who walked from the beginning so if they just walked the whole thing at an average pace that would be okay for them yeah yeah equally the next the next point was that no one's ever negative split any of his rate any of the races which he pointed out he pointed out which which did kind of to me raise a bit of an eyebrow normally in my experience most organizers will put a faster pace at the start of the race and then slow that down and then give people a buffer so you don't have lots of people dropping out at the end because they've not left enough in the tank. And we're all grown up. We all know how it works. So we all knew that up front because he briefed it. That's fair enough. So we started the race. Um, yeah. It started at 10 o'clock. Really good atmosphere on the Thames path. Um, and we started running together. It, yeah. was, it was nice. We, we, we were about two thirds of the way back, I think. Yeah. Um, started, just took it very gently. There were lots of people running past us to start with for the first half hour or so and the first couple of loops but then we were starting to eat people up yeah and we started on this pace that i decided that i wanted to run for the race and and we'll get into sort of me and running later maybe on in this podcast but i had a single-minded idea of what i wanted to do mm. which was run at six mile hour pace so 10 minute miles run for 25 minutes walk for five minutes yeah. i invited you should you wish to do so to join me in that strategy i think it was a, a good strategy so i was quite happy to tag along yeah and so we ran and 
run along the Thames path and it's fairly flat. I'd run the first 25 miles in training and I said to Thane, I don't think it's the most interesting of routes. And Thane said to me, what do you mean? It's going to be beautiful. There's going to be lots of stuff. And I said to you, there's only so many swans, boathouses, boats and locks that you can see before it starts to become a bit repetitive. And you were right. I was, yeah. (laughs) And after about 10 miles, you turned around to me and went, yeah, bored of seeing swans now. (laughs) Yeah, it was very repetitive. And I'd run in training just the middle 10 miles around Reading, which was a slightly more interesting maybe section I found because it was just going through, you know, going from countryside to a city back to countryside. But you're right, I, I, I got very bored. And because there's no hills around there, you can't see a hill either. It's just get to the end of that next field. And I think it probably suits more your typical, he says, road runner type, you know, people who are used to grinding out marathons and stuff and doing a lot of flat running. The the statistics on for... for the run where 75% of it was on trail, inverted commas, and 25% on road. Um, but in reality, it, it feels and runs like it's 75% on road and 25% on trail. I'm not sure I'd quite agree with that. But yeah, it, it's there's a lot of tarmac and paved areas. Yeah. And it certainly felt well, at least 25 side, miles. It's a very popular route on the side of a river, yeah. a canal kind of thing. So, I mean, yes, it is trail, but it's it, it's flat, it's compacted. There's no giving it whatsoever so it has the whilst this certainly is a trail it has the yeah. feeling of running on at the beginning the definitely the, the, yeah. I think in the later time it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely got a lot more like running over fields yes but that rate you know that is what it is it's yeah, the same for everybody yeah. uh, we hit the first aid station uh, all on time I thought what was great about the aid stations this time was that it got tailwind and goo gels as standard you don't get that often in a race you know no. people are pretty that's expensive stuff people are pretty stingy with it and at that point you know everyone was taking it off tap I didn't use tailwind or goo so I was carrying my powders and my gels but there were people taking advantage of it and I think that's a good thing yeah um I, I think now is probably the time to say that later on the race I think your experience was that maybe they'd started to run out of it they and they were watering it down which isn't necessarily great if people are relying on it I think they they had they were using it a lot, and um, certainly when I was getting into the first few aid stations, they were saying, "Really sorry, but this is quite watered down." And it, when I use it, I'm a tailwind user, so I, I know it was quite watered. Was that at the down. beginning or at the end? Yeah, it was kind of like second, third aid stations. And maybe that's probably because it was so hot, people were just like, drinking, people a, drinking lot more. a lot more, and they were just running um, out. I did meet Mr. Tailwind today. Oh, did Mr. You? Tailwind UK? Really? Yeah. yeah. So that was that. Um, we were running the 25 minute, five minute, and it was working really well at that point. Yeah. At the first aid station. And then shortly after that, at about the 15-mile point, miles. I noticed you starting to drop behind me. And and occasionally you'd pick it back up, and then occasionally you wouldn't. And those gaps got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was over, it was over two, well, it was definitely over two 25-minute sections I started to drop off. Yeah. And then it was just point of saying, look, you go. We're, we're, we're separating well, here. Yeah, and it got to the point where I'd gone into a five-minute walk section, yeah. and it took you four, three, four, three or yeah. four minutes to yeah. catch me up. And you, you said, "Just go." Yeah, and we'd agreed that's what we do. And I thought, I'm not going to argue. I just let's just leave it at that, you know. And I found from doing the Mendip Marauder last year, what, what I found difficult was there was someone who wanted to run with me, mm. but wanted to run quicker, and I felt I was being, I was overheating and burning out, and I've. I didn't. I wanted to run with them, but at the same time, I didn't want to run at their pace. Yeah, and they didn't want to slow down for me. And, and ultimately, separating was the was the right thing for both of us. And so that was in the forefront of my mind when I said, "Fine, I'll just carry on." Yeah, yeah. I, I volunteered it, and you you accepted it, and it was fine. And we had to do it. And I think, especially in those weather conditions that we had, it was really hot. And in those five minutes, you know, of walking, yeah, it was almost like the first three minutes of that five minutes were trying to get your system back in kilter. Because as soon as I stopped running. If I I did, I did very quick kind of stretch on the legs or something, I felt really kind of a bit di- lightheaded, not yeah. quite dizzy, but lightheaded. Uh, and so you're having to calm down and then go again. Yeah, I mean, I'd practiced that strategy before, not in the heat, yeah. but I'd done training runs on that exact strategy. So I was used to doing it. Yeah. I, you hadn't clearly. No. Um, and that maybe made the difference. Now, this is probably the point to talk about my nutrition strategy. So I was, again, very exact in my nutrition strategy. It's a bit unusual for me to be that exact but I realized the five minute walk was the time to make the most of what I could do from fueling myself and so I was eating five jelly babies mm-hmm. on the as I got to the half hour effectively yeah. and then on the hour I was eating a SIS electrolyte gel yeah and that I worked out that with drinking a bottle of fluid an hour was giving me 250 calories or something like that mm-hmm. 
And I realised that was probably about... And then whatever I could take in at an aid station was a bonus. Yeah. But that was my strategy. And I reckoned that that would get me through the race if I had to. Yeah. And so I was absolutely religious about that. And I did was for the whole race, basically. That, I think, worked for me, having nailed it down in my head exactly what I was going to do. It didn't matter how I felt, I made myself eat those jelly babies and I made myself eat that gel, even if I thought I was going to be sick. Yeah, and with that amount of calories, that's really good because you had all the calories available that your body could have possibly taken in. Because you would have, there's no way in these races that you can run it just on carbs. No. You, you can't absorb enough. But you no. gave yourself every chance to have the carbs available. Well, and if you're going to, even if you're going to fat burn, you have to have carbs to burn the fat. You can't yes. just burn yeah, burn. Yeah fat purely so even if you're just taking cups of tea with two sugars in them at every aid station there's carbs in that that helps you then burn fat so you've got to do that so that worked for me and then at aid stations i was interesting because it's not like this is unusual for me i was mostly eating fruit yeah so bananas isn't usual for me but grapes i found really good and that's what i my body naturally went towards they had strawberries which were lovely yeah yeah. and i didn't really eat anything savory apart from the hot stations for the whole race? I didn't at all. I think it was a combination of the weather as well being warm. Yeah. I just looked at the aid station food mostly and didn't eat any of it. And I was gravitating towards what there was there. At the first aid station, there was lots of oranges and there was you know a pile of us just gorging ourselves on oranges. Unfortunately, that was the only aid station with oranges. But, but generally, I was on the fruit. There was bits of watermelon and bits and things like that. But there was lots of savoury and nuts and cheese sandwich and it was, it was it was basically the same thing at every aid station i did eat a cheese lane. sandwich i had to say at the first aid station i i made myself eat a cheese sandwich and yeah. knowing that that uh, later on i would, would not be able to eat a cheese sandwich so mm. so nutrition wise kind of worked for me as good as it was ever going to do yeah and that's why again i think on this sort of race where it's all the same the whole way through i felt i needed to have a dedicated strategy that i just stuck to yeah to to keep that consistency going just stuck to it like goo so to like goo oh i love it <laughs> fantastic well done mate so uh we separated and here's a bit of trail talk from me after the second aid station just after mile 22 so just done the 22 mile aid station on the centurion times 500 uh thing and i separated at about 15 miles uh, he's somewhere behind me i'm not quite sure it is ridiculously warm and uh, everybody's suffering with the heat. 22 mile aid station was inside, it was absolute godsend. And uh, spent five minutes there, cooled down a lot, poured a cup of water over my head, poured on the bottles, had a sausage roll, epic, and some strawberries, lovely. Um, and now off again. The next aid station's at 30.5 miles, so about seven and a half miles. Hopefully, it shouldn't be too bad. I'm still on the 25 minute run five minute walk and I'm finding it quite difficult thank you very much um, we're seeing what I can keep that going for but hey at the moment it's alright and it's a bit of shade which is nice so that was me at about 23 miles I think what's come across hopefully from that and will come across through the whole thing was just how hot it was Yeah, it was 24 degrees yeah it was warm and there, I think a sign of that is the fact that people were dropping almost from the start I think Every aid station I stopped at, there were between three and six people who had pulled out. And that was through the entire race. Yeah, it was horrendously hot. And you could feel yourself heating up. And I, when I got to the Cookham aid station and sat down, I realised that I was right on the border of going hyperthermic. No, hypothermic. You know, yes. I was, yeah, yeah. That's how it felt. And I had to sit down and someone said to me, do you want to get going? I said, I can't. I just need five more minutes. And I was pouring some cold water over my head and all sorts yeah. of stuff to just try and cool myself down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was chatting to the guys at, was it the 30-mile aid station? Of 30.5, was it 31? 30.5, yeah. That's the one where yeah. they had the hose. And they were hosing yeah. people down. And the guys there were saying that the the front runners were looking awful. People had been pushing themselves really hard. It was, you know, 26 degrees or whatever. And, um, yeah, they said the whole field, everyone was slower and it was, uh, yeah, it was taking its toll on people. Yeah. And once again, that comes back to managing your race, making mm. sure you get it right. So just after that trail talk piece, I'd gone from 25 minutes running to five and five minutes walking to 10 minutes running and five minutes walking. I tried a brief bit at 15 minutes, but it just didn't feel right. So I did that. 
and it was just most of that was to do with how tired I was because and how hot I was. Yeah, and I just needed to drop to that to manage it. It does make a difference, but not a huge difference to your yes. running time. And in terms of body management, it made a massive difference to me. So yeah. that's why I did it. And here's a bit of me um, around a similar point uh, after we separated. So here we are, Thames Pass 100. I couldn't find my charger for my Garmin watch, so I'm a little bit, I don't have another watch with me, so I'm a little bit unknown on the time, other than what's on my phone, but I only get that every now and again. Basically though, I'm 32 miles in, I think, in just under seven hours, something like that. It's going okay, um, I think it's the best description. Um, started with Anthony and we had a schedule of run for 25 miles oh, sorry blind me what am I saying I'm losing it already run for 25 minutes um, about five miles an hour walk for um, no slightly faster than actually about six miles an hour and then walk for five minutes averaging five miles an hour which should be a 20 hour pace, which I know I, I couldn't finish in that time at all. Um, I'm gonna be north of 24 hours on that, I'm pretty certain. But I wanna finish in under 28. So, ran most of the first 30 miles to third, third aid station, I think it is. But it's really hot. I don't know what the temperature is, 25, 26 degrees or so. It's, it's fairly cooking. It's now what? Uh, getting on half four in the afternoon still warm i was after running for like 25 minutes and yes your legs are tight i'm not denying that but uh when i was stopping for five minutes walk or so i was just overheating almost just wanted to keep running but i know that isn't sustainable so yeah i kind of felt worse after running so I've taken the option, I've done the maths, I've taken the option to walk probably most, not all, but most of the next two hours, uh, which would get me to the 38 mile point and an aid station, just to let the temperature just come down a bit. Um, I don't want to pass out or anything. Um, and uh, after stopping running for 25 minutes, I was kind of feeling a bit lightheaded and having to take on water, obviously water and, and stuff. And, I was debating how much benefit I was getting. Yes, I was going faster there. I wasn't, I'm not running fast anymore. So I've done the math and basically I'm walking at 3.7 miles an hour, 3.5 just over. So 3.7 miles an hour. And to get to the finish in 28, I need to do 3.5 miles an hour. So in theory, if I didn't slow down from this walking pace at all, I'd do it. Obviously that's not my intent. I want to run sections, but I'm going to heed the advice, my own advice to myself before I started which was take it easy in the day and I think I probably pushed a bit faster over the first 30 than maybe in my head I thought I was going to so um, I built up obviously a buffer and taken a lot of risk out of it not all of the risk but a lot of risk for finishing save the legs a bit there's no point blowing up and getting to 50 miles and being completely toast so let's save something in the tank it's the plan and then do some uh, walk jogging uh, in the evening build up a bit more of a buffer and if I can do kind of running sections through the night just keep it going so anyway that's the plan um, hopefully the plan will work but uh, well a dog but yeah and um, yeah so my pace had started to drop considerably or the amount of running I was able to do since we separated. I got to the 38 mile aid station, I was still able to do some running, but I knew that I had some hot spots on my feet. So I stopped and sorted it out and had a couple of blisters I had to um, tend to and put compede on. I had a fairly deep blister in my left heel that I took, the, I couldn't really burst, but I put a compede on it thinking that will do the job. But clearly at that point, and maybe it was a combination of the shoes I was wearing, you know, I was wearing full-on Sense Pro Max Salomon One's um, shoes. It was quite hot, so the temperature, the amount of friction, I was starting to, yeah, lose the condition in my feet. That was a concern. Basically, from 38 miles, I hardly ran again, being very blunt about it. But I had a good walking pace, so I, I just powered 
through. I wasn't. I was hoping I was going to be able to run at night when it was a bit cooler. Those first fifty kilometres, I hadn't done too bad, but actually from there it, it, it slowed. But for quite some time, I was able to keep up quite a reasonable pace. Yeah, and talking of shoe choice, so I'd made the decision, and I'd thought very long and hard about it, to run in road shoes. I decided that the padding I got in my Saucony Swerves would benefit me ultimately in the race. The Saucony Swerves got actually a really good tread base on the bottom of it. It's yeah. it's not quite a hybrid shoe, but it's not far off. Mm. And so I knew that I'd probably be all right on the trails, even if it got a bit muddy. And having seen how dry it had been in the week, I opted to run in those shoes. And it was absolutely the right decision. Yeah. So I ran in my Salomon Sense Pro Max, which I use in Cotswolds Way Century. And I did get some quite bad blisters there. But I thought it'd be all right in this race running them. But they are quite stiff. Obviously, it's a trail running shoe. So it's expecting to hit rocks and different, you know, dynamics yep. and have enough give for you to do that. Uh, but I think a combination of the heat, the combination of the fact they were quite solid was wrong on the day. And I think that resulted in me getting blisters quite reasonably early on and then not being able to really manage it. So I've just left the aid station at 44 miles it's really interesting you know you need the stops I'm, and I'm trying to just sit down for 10 minutes of each one and let my legs rest and you know and I don't want to sit down for too long but I'm, I think I've calculated it right and I'm making up the time on the runs to allow me that 10 minutes and I think it's worth it but getting going again afterwards is really tough so I'm trying to time it so I walk the first 5 minutes um, of the once I get back going and then run which hopefully will uh, give my heart to my legs to get back into gear and they are sore but as I said it is gorgeous to sit down and the temptation to sit there forever uh, is, is, is very high anyway Henley next and when we get there we'll have cracked half of it which will be good I got into Henley uh, at about half past eight at night it mm. was just starting to go dusk and that's 51 miles? 51 miles yeah and i'd got this started to get this blister and i really need to sort myself out they'd run out of chairs now that's not their fault there were loads of people there dropping mm. and i think people had got yeah, there yeah. so they were going to drop and were just sat in the chairs and not leaving the aid yeah. station running to the aid station i was passing a lot of people walking away to the train station <laughs> yeah so uh, that wasn't their fault so i sat myself down on a map but then i found it real i had real problems taking my shoes off i'd always planned to possibly change my socks mm. there just to give myself a fresh pair of socks but i needed to do some blister treatment and I think this is time to talk about the aid station people who I think were possibly the most professional aid station people I've ever come across. They were good. They were clearly very well drilled. They, they were brilliant at helping me sort my feet out, put my socks on for me because I couldn't reach down, put my shoes back on for yeah, me. Yeah. And what I found really impressive at nearly all the aid stations was as soon as you got there, they asked me if I needed some help filling my bottles, everything. I, most of the time I said, just give me a few minutes to sort my head out and work out what I'm going to do. They were great. They'd come back and check on me in a few minutes. So they would keep an eye on you, everybody in the aid station. Mm. They'd then do the stuff and help you out. And then they'd get you on your way. And there were times where I felt under a fair amount of pressure from them. To, they'd come over and go, right, mate, time for you to go. Now, clearly they needed the space in the aid stations, but it was much more than that. I think they really realised that they need, if we didn't get back on the trail, the temptation to keep sitting there and keep sitting there is too strong. And they were being very firm, but absolutely fair and absolutely right in getting people back out on the trail. So what I liked about the Henley aid station particularly was the first drop bag aid station. There was two, one at 51, one at 71 miles. Yep. Um, they had warm pasta. They did. It was actually getting quite nippy. I was getting quite cold. And I tell you what, it was nice to have something warm wet and nutritious because yes you can have energy drinks and the rest of it but actually you're on your feet for like 24 hours or just over you're actually hungry for some food some real food you know doing 100 miles is going to take it out of you but if you're not actually eaten a meal it you know it takes its toll even more so actually you know that was gorgeous that pasta was absolutely lovely i was just disappointed that wasn't repeated <laughs> later on well and, and, and this was a bit maybe a different in experiences being you know towards the back that i had than you had i needed i needed that same thing at 71 miles at about the 51 mile point i think there is a mental bit where you switch from a day race to a night race and you tend to start grouping up at night it's a bit of a you, you you're a long way into the race you've got your pace the people around you have obviously had a very similar experience in the main. So, yeah, I ended up 
matching in with the lady and we basically did the whole night almost together and and there's this bit that for me it was really difficult I knew it would be really lovely to have someone to run with at this point in the night and it was going to be very lonely it ended up being very lonely in the night but I also knew that I had a strategy and I really, really didn't want to switch from it. And so lots of people around me, no one, no one was offering to bunch up. I didn't get anyone come to me and say, shall we run together either? No. So I think we were probably all of the same mind that it was nice to see each other as we were running, mm. but let's all run our own races and it'll either work or it won't. So having left Henley, I pootled off along the path um, and got to Reading. And here's some uh, stuff I recorded whilst I was sat at the Reading aid station. So I've arrived at Reading uh, in about 12 hours, 33 minutes, which isn't too bad, 58 miles, um, don't feel too bad at all, and uh, really, I mean, well, it's all relative, I guess, my legs are killing me, but it doesn't seem to be getting any worse, I guess is what I'm saying, um, and it's just a case of plodding on now, I'm really hoping to get under 24 hours, um, it's definitely not a done deal at all. Uh, but we'll see. It's just a case of keeping the legs in good shape, trying to manage the stops long enough to get the legs to recover, uh, but not too long. Uh, so I've got about uh, maybe eight minutes left here, um, but I'm going to try and shake the legs out, maybe leave a few minutes early. I think that's a big difference between what I hadn't done this time and you had. You had a fixed game plan and you were committed to a strategy, and I was winging it too much I think in hindsight I've not put the amount of preparation into my planning that I should have I think you not having your Garmin on you was a massive strategic error yeah so I did have my GPS unit I did have a map and you know what I'm really glad we had the map which wasn't mandatory but we did because I I used that and also had the GPS which was actually also my tracker for Strava selfishly but between those combination of things and also using the app on my phone Strava app and then I had to do some maths and I had to go online and I was doing right, convert kilometres to miles, da, 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 da. I was able to work out my pace, but I didn't know it straight off the bat. That's the problem. I had yeah. to do spot checks like every 10 miles to monitor my, my pace. And knowing you, I, I understand why you would have been liked having the map. You know, you've got this orienteering background and everything else. I had a copy of the map. It was in my backpack and it never came out. It, it was, was well, well marked. It was well marked. I mean, I, I, I like to know where I am. It's the confidence of not going off the trail. So I was I was orienteering it. Yep. So I knew exactly where all the turns were and I knew it was coming up and the the, the, the tape for me and the markers were um, just confirmation. But I, I didn't lose my way. And, but some people around me did. There was one chap and uh, it was later, well, it was very early hours of the morning and he said, right, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a cold-blooded person. I'm going to run now. And uh, he went off. And then half an hour later, he came up behind us. Damn, went wrong. Yeah. And then he went off. And then 45 minutes later, lo and behold, I found him lost. So I, I mean, I, I think most people didn't need a map or anything else. But clearly some people, and this chap did, and eventually he pulls. He just, well, I've had it. So he spent an hour and a half running, not all in the right direction. Now, through the night, it got, do you know what? It did not get cold. It just felt like it got cold. Well, that was about 10 degrees. 11 degrees, 10, 11 degrees. Yeah, that's not cold. I mean, you know, if, no. you're, if you're mobile and moving, that isn't that cold. And so I've got a really thin Pertex jacket that I tend to throw on when I get a little bit cold. Mm. Yeah. And then I got to one of the aid stations and I realised after about three minutes, I was starting to shiver mm. just because I was stopping working. And it went on then and I think I ran in it for about eight miles to the 85 mile aid station. But other than that, I didn't run in it. Of course, if you're going slower, you're going to need more kit. I, yeah, I had put on all my layers apart from my emergency one, obviously. And I was cold. I wasn't freezing cold, but when I stopped at every aid station at night, I was kind of like, need to warm up, need to warm up. And that's why I was desperate for, for some warm food, which I couldn't get. So 23.30 at night which means we've been going 13 and a half hours done like 50 54 miles i think going all right since last spoke i think i ran a couple of little bits but really i'm just walking now got a couple of blisters on face on left foot no one's really running around me certainly so it's that kind of over 50 miles just keep going should be okay 
finishing in 27 hours or so just got to keep going don't stop too long at aid stations etc it is a bit nippy I've got my base layer on and uh, my spare one that is not the one that's in the emergency kit in my back um, but I've also got my gloves beanie and my um, Gore-Tex coat etc my Camelica um, waterproof running top so got another put another pair of shorts on as well um, last day station was at Henley had a nice pasta cup of tea warmed us up but I'm a little bit nippy so looking forward to just keeping it going through the night and then warming up a little bit in the day I know it's going to get too hot again I think the forecast last I saw was hotter than today by a couple of degrees but hopefully I won't be in it too long yeah I hope to finish around probably one o'clock in the afternoon so anyway just a case of keeping going keeping the pace consistent looking forward to seeing Marcin at 85 miles or so he might just be a bit disappointed with the near zero running <laughs> but anyway be good to have a chat so that's a good bit of motivation feet sore blisters hurt I think I've got one on my right foot as well but I don't know what to do I might just grind it out I mean in 71 um, aid station and drop bag as well and apparently it's inside so I can see what I'm doing and be a bit warmer hopefully than outside so I might have a look at that foot then but it's like a devil in the deep blue sea you can have a look at your blisters but you can try and sort them out but you could end up in no better place but anyway I'll, I'll have a look see how bad the damage is make an assessment if I can I'll just leave it because I'll have walked a fair way on it anyway so anyways I better look where I'm going so I don't trip over so yeah Anthony I don't know where he is hopefully doing good mate um, I don't know if you're able to keep to your schedule of running and walking that would be really impressive if you can I walked with a little guy for a while and he was quite interesting because he uh, he said he's hardly run any of it and he did the first half in about 12 and a half hours so he's done quite a lot of them and uh, intimating that if he just picked up the pace of it and did a few more runs he, he kind of could be gone for 24 so it just goes to show you can do 24 just by grinding it out with a little bit of running he was a bit, a bit faster walker than me just marginally anyway, he's locked in with a few other people I'll let them go but, but yeah my face is good oh my god that hurt oh, that hurt a lot as I was saying look where I'm going um, I'm going to put this away and concentrate on where I'm going anyway speak later when you got to Streetly at 71 miles, that was the other hot food station. There'd been the pasta at Henley. And then at Streetly, they had, I love this, it was beans or beans deluxe, which was beans with cheese put on top of it. And they were good. And I'm glad I had them. Uh, do you have an experience where you weren't sure that they were still available I, when you got to Streetly? But I, I you're not sure it. now. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident, but I'm not going to. I was obviously near the back and whenever I was getting to aid stations there were people dropped um, interestingly at that one there were loads of there were quite a few people kind of who'd be obviously been sleeping there was loads of foil blankets out all over the place yeah and obviously um, where the other drop bag was wasn't yeah, it as well yeah uh, where people had been lying and trying to keep warm on chairs and stuff so obviously it was cold enough when they stopped that they were getting cold but anyway um, I don't think there was any hot food they stopped doing it we, we were under a lot of pressure because um, we knew about the cutoffs and the fact that our buffer of that you know over two hours to start with had been eating away and we were losing time at every single aid station so we were wanted to be in and out we knew we had to be but nonetheless all of us kind of wanted hot food and while I was sorting my getting some things out of my kit bag the guy opposite me was having a bit of a, a, a conversation little <laughs> argument with them and he said surely you've got something surely you've got something well I need food I need food I, you know, I need something hot what have you got and I don't know if they offered him one thing that he didn't need that's the only bit of uncertainty but I was listening in you know it's this conversation while I was doing other stuff I, I was kind of in my head I was like to hell with it there's no there's obviously no hot food just do your stuff and go but I was yep. desperate for 
a bowl of something because uh, I was just genuinely kind of like hungry and it was still cold. If it had been even colder, oh yeah, it could have been even more. Of, they would even more have needed that hot food. You know, your view is that they could have had more hot food at more of the different stations, like they did at Cotswold Bay Century last year. And if it had been colder, they would have needed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, then daylight started to arrive as I got to the 85 mile mark and in our heads around in our little group the same sort of people you're seeing in each aid station there was a growing feeling of pressure now because we realized that potentially under 24 was definitely doable but it really felt like we were up against it yeah and really short and James the race organizer had alluded at the beginning he'd said the race is not exactly 100 miles. So don't come up to me afterwards and say, my Garmin says X or Y. And I think, do you know what? I think if you run a few ultras, you get that. Yeah. You're going to call it whatever distance it is. And it could be 99, it could be 103. It could be whatever. It's a 100-mile race. And I think we okay. all accept that. Yeah. But for us at that point, the difference between it being 99 or 103 was about an hour of running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was really important to us. And so I turned around to one of the guys at the aid station and said, I just need to know. I just need yeah. some certainty. And you're a bit tired. And we're all sat there with sort of our heads in our hands and trying to eat some food and get some drinking, but trying to be hurrying up through the aid stations. And he said, I can tell you exactly how far it is to the next three aid stations. And he told us. And we worked out that actually it was probably only 14 or 15 miles to the end, if he, if what he was saying was true. Yeah. And I just turned around to the group and I said, right, guys, the ask is 14 miles in, I think we had three and a half hours or something. I said yeah. in three and a half hours and someone just repeated it back and everyone sort of repeated it back and it became a bit yeah, of a mantra. Yeah, yeah. And we all got up and we all sort of left the aid station That's and cool. sort of charging back. And it felt really great. That, that was our sort of go-to thing. Let's get out there. Let's just get it now. And I think we all looked around each other and realized we probably, if you got this far in this amount of time, we had it in That's us awesome. to do it. With your tribe. Yeah, sort of with my tribe. I mean, we didn't stay with them, clearly. We all separated because we were running yeah, our own yeah, race yeah, strategies. Was a kind of, yeah, um, group fit, and, and off group we went, band, and yeah. it felt all right. But at that point, though, my feet had gone. I was yeah. in I was in tatters. Mm. And I found this 10 minutes running, 5 minutes walking. I was trying, once I'd started running, to try not to look at my GPS as long as possible. And the longest I ever managed mm. was 5 and a half minutes from the start. <laughs> The worst I managed was 38 seconds. <laughs> and at that point, then you're just willing yourself to like, run, run for two minutes, try and run for two minutes and not look at your watch. And of course you look back and you're like, it must've been two minutes. No, it's been a minute and a second. I, oh my goodness. I had an iPod shuffle with me and I was, I, it, you know, going a lot further earlier in the race. I was doing it on songs rather than a timer. Yeah. A, because I didn't have a blinking watch with me. Uh, so, so I was doing it like that. And, um, but I only had one CD on the iPod shuffle. It was an old one I found and I charged up and managed to get it working <laughs> the day before the race. And I didn't realise it was one running CD. So, you know, kind of like it, by the early morning, I was so bored of the CD. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, like I can imagine. At all. So, yeah, so I ran on um, and the next day station came up exactly the distance the bloke had told me it was going to come up. And at that point, I started to feel a bit more confident. Yeah, yeah. Until at that aid station, the bloke said... Oh no, actually, the last, from the last aid station to the finish, which is supposed to be five miles, it's actually eight miles. Oh, what? I know. And I, and I said to him, Are you sure? Nothing. And he said, Well, I'm pretty sure. And I went, Oh no. And I thought, Right, don't panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to the next aid that station. That wasn't even true. But I didn't, I, didn't I, don't, I don't think I even sat down. Yeah, I, yeah. I was so, at that point, I went, Right. Took another bottle of drink, had a quick something to eat, and got out. I knew it was only four miles to the next aid station, so I thought, right, it's fine. You can afford to get going again, and so off I went towards that aid station. And I got to the next aid station, and I effectively arrived there. And I sat in a chair, and I looked at my watch, and I had a chat with the bloke, and I said, "How far is it?" And he said, "I reckon it's about five and a half miles." So you're onto your third different distance now. Yeah. And, he, and I said, "All right." He said, "Yeah." And then he told me what it was in kilometres, and I said, "That's four and a half miles." And he went, "Oh, is it?" <laughs> and I thought it was going to be about four and a half I think, miles. I think on the map, you know, the checkpoints where they measured them were the right distances. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I, and at that point, I sat there and it was in the sun. Yeah. And the bloke went, right, off you go. And I looked at him and I went, nah. <laughs> and I, I thought, I, I looked at my watch and I thought, even if it's eight miles, I think I'm going to manage this. And I gave myself an extra two minutes of just shaking my legs out and relaxing. Yeah. yeah. And then headed out for the last section of the trail. At this point, the trail was really quite rough. It was quite yeah. really okay. difficult. It was really difficult running. So it wasn't a proper trail. It was like a, you know, you're running on the bank of the river and it was really lumpy and mud. It was dried mud, but we you know it was all compacted and stuff. So it was really difficult running. 
And then finally you end up coming into Oxford and all of a sudden you're on a proper hardened tarmac path. Yeah. And whatever we think about running on tarmac as opposed to running on nature's trails, at mile 99 in a 100-mile ultramarathon, it was the most beautiful surface to be running yeah, on. Yeah. Having run along that riverbank where it was so rutted and difficult to run on, it was just a, you know, running along to the end and it felt great. And I carried on doing the 10-minute and 5-minute and I saw someone come out behind me and I thought, oh, I could try and stay ahead. And I thought, what's the point? It makes no difference. So I carried on going and got there and my wife and daughter were there, which was lovely. And I crossed the line and here's me talking after, just after that had happened. Okay, so uh, I haven't done much recording uh, for a while because because I was just concentrating on running. It's really been really hard. My feet are in absolute tatters. Uh, but I finished, and I finished in under a day. 22.47, which is really pleasing. Um, Thane is somewhere behind me i'm not sure if he's going to make the cutoffs it was totally attritional yesterday really really tough and uh yeah I, I think the number of people dropping will have been significantly higher than last year uh we'll see i don't think i ever 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 want to run 100 again and i know that's weird because i was doing this to qualify for states but i just don't think i want to do it again um we'll see but I don't think so. So after that, one of the first things I asked my wife was how you were doing. Mm. And she said she thought you were really up against the cutoffs at that point. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I've been losing time at every aid station, as we've already mentioned. Uh, I went from over two hours down to like two and down to one hour 40. And then it was, I think the next one, you know, one hour 10. And then it was eroding and eroding and eroding. And um, I knew that I was only, I can't remember, the half an hour or so, I forget exactly, at the 77-ish or 78-mile aid station. I knew I was really up against it. Marcin, who I was going to be meeting with at 85, he knew I was up against it. He came and met me actually at 80 miles. We'll outpace us from, from 50 miles in the yeah. course, so it was absolutely fine, legal and everything. So that was really good. And he said, where are you? Right, I'm coming to you. And then just randomly on the trail, right, here I am. So I think this is only my third or fourth paced uh, well, update from the trail, but um, just approaching 85 miles and probably going to time out on the checkpoint. So with Marcin, who's very, very kindly um, come to pace me, although it's a very slow stroll for you. <laughs> um, Hi. Hi. Hi again. I had the pleasure of running with Thane on the Cotswold Way Century and you could hear a little bit of me blabbing on the what was it the second episode of the podcast yeah 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 yes i joined to paint to support him a little bit here um he looks a little bit tired now <laughs> and uh we are about to come to the checkpoint but uh, we'll see if we'll make the cutoff we'll be very very close yeah i've kind of make made the decision that that I mean, the, the pace you need I can't sustain anymore so there's three more checkpoints I think well two more checkpoints in the finish but um, I've been losing time at every checkpoint quarter of an hour 20 minutes 30 minutes and some so I'll need a miracle and my legs aren't working but well, we know miracles typically don't happen <laughs> and uh, I offered pain to abuse him to make him go faster but he he didn't take my offer <laughs> so uh We'll see. We still have a few more minutes to get to the checkpoint. I think 15 miles of abuse would be... I couldn't take. <laughs> Three miles to the finish line, that would have worked, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> Five hours of abuse would have been too much, but... It's been a good learning experience. Obviously, it's been really hot. It's getting really hot. It's going to be hotter today than it was yesterday. And last night, as I said, was really cold. All the checkpoints... Uh, at night I was shivering when I got inside so and was stopped moving so not great but hey even the flat ones can be challenging in fact it might even be more challenging um, that's the thing never underestimate a flat race yeah where do you run and where do you walk um, it's easy on it on where there's hills 
But uh, yeah, my calves are tight. I've got various blisters. I think my, one of my nails has come off. Uh, it's really my calves, so I can't stretch them out at all. So my running speed is basically the same as my walking speed, which is slowing down. And uh, yeah, it's really hot. Doesn't matter. After all, it's a good training run for your next big project, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Spine fusion, which will uh, be a, a lot slower pace. But in fact, if I did that at two miles an hour, you'd end up completing it in what 130 hours, which is still a you know a day still inside the car. Still within the limit, technically. Yeah, yeah, six days. So, but uh, hey, um, I think Anton has done well. I think it should be about finishing now. I don't know, but. Uh, in which case he'll be under 24 just but um he's done well though he's done the training so he deserves it so good on you mate touch wood that you have got to the finish line right so i'm probably going to sign off now and then um yeah well that's been that anyway it was at the very least it was good training good job good yeah job. thank you it was really nice to have be running with someone who's really experienced say yeah. running I mean he's done yeah. a 150 mile race before so yeah, he yeah. School. He's, he's, he's done more than I have he's, he's got a lot of experience and he said right give me the brief what's your pace what's this um, how are you feeling what, what's your motivation I'm very happy to beast you for the next four or five hours to get you to the finish line how important is this race to you so whilst we were on the move we discussed that for like 10 minutes and made I made the decision that I was going to pull at 85. I was going to, I wanted to keep going until the race had beaten me, as it were, but I knew that my feet were in a bad state. I had lots of blisters and we did a quick kind of couple of running tests and I was running and he was still walking beside me. It was hardly any improved and my pace of 3.7 miles an hour, which I needed to finish, had slowly, I'd managed to keep that up till about 70 miles or so, looking retrospectively looking on Strava, but it had dropped and it was now sub three. And the lady I was with through the night, I did say to her, look, this is going to be really tight. We need to run because uh, I was doing the math, had the map mm -hmm. and the maths and she didn't say anything. And then literally 60 seconds later, she just ran off. <laughs> I, never, I never saw her again because I just couldn't run. OK, if, if my life had depended on it and if it was a do or die or a, this is my last thing of the year... Maybe I could have gone, right, to heck with it. I'm going to run. I'm going to burst loads of blisters. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. I'm just going to put it all to the wire. But you know what? I've got like seven weeks to spine fusion. And I knew my feet were in a bad way. And yeah. I need to recover and do training. And I, I wasn't prepared to sacrifice that significant objective, which is my main objective, to finish this race. Yeah. Despite Western States and all the rest of it, I just like, right, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be able to finish it. So, you know, and it, and it is really interesting. And what I haven't talked about so far is how I felt in the race. And this is going to sound quite strong, but I hated every minute of the race. Uh, and hate's a strong term. But I pretty early realised that I didn't ever want to do this again. And I was saying to people at the aid stations, you know, this is it for me. If I get under 24 hours, that's it. Not doing another 100. Which is weird because I was doing this to qualify for States. And in hindsight now, it's been a week, I will stick my name in the States ballot. But I'm doing it for the challenge now. I know I'm not doing it for the love. It's doing it to say I've done the oldest 100-mile race in the world. And I want to have done that. I want to be able to tell myself I've done it. And I really hope States is a different experience if I get in. You know, we know how unlikely that is. But I've loved every 50-mile race I've done. And so why didn't I even enjoy the first 50 miles of this? And I think it was knowing that at the end of the 50 miles, I had to run another 100, another 50 miles to make it 100. Yeah. It was knowing I was running for 24 hours. I didn't enjoy it. Now, it's nothing to do with the Centurion or anything else, or even the course, I don't think. I, it was just that the enormity of it, I really struggled with and it found it difficult. One of the things I wanted to mention was the race photography. Uh, it was run by a guy called Stuart March. I think his photography is the best photography I have ever ever seen of any race and if you're a race director look up his stuff it is absolutely brilliant my wife's commented she can't believe how good he's managed to make me look <laughs> <laughs> in terms of injuries you talked about your you talked about your blisters i got as i said a small blister that i covered with compede at 51 that got a bit worse mm. what i did notice between Henley and Reading was my left foot started to ache. Then when I took my shoes off the finish and over the next hour or so, my left foot was much, much bigger than my right foot. And I had a bit of discoloration and I wasn't really sure. And in the end, I went to see the doctor on Thursday. He took one look at it and said, I think you've got cellulitis or something like that, which is a bacterial infection of the epidermis of the skin and the fat layer underneath. 
not sure why, perhaps I've broken a small bone or something in my foot and it's happened. So I'm now on antibiotics and my foot's going down a lot. But other than that, physically, I've come out of it remarkably fine. Mm. Whereas your feet are... Fane's feet look like something from a horror movie. Well, I always get a few blisters. Um, it's the one in the heel that done it for me. I've oh, it's horrendous. Thursday and Friday this week, I wasn't able to put any weight on it at all. and It's just it's the, size of, it's the size of one of those square post-it notes. Yeah, well, it's huge. The weird thing was, the I put that, you know, I had that in my left heel where I put that um, uh, blister to start with. I couldn't really burst, so I, I put a big compede on it. And basically, the comp, that whole compede was floating on a blister. And the problem is, it, it, and then when it's kind of burst and stuff and taking the skin off, it actually goes, as it goes down round the foot, it goes deeper into the foot. But it'll, it'll be fine. And I'm just, I just want it to heal quickly so I can run. Yeah. So my point of reflection on it was, yeah, I didn't mind it as 100. You know, okay, I did 85 of it. Um, I still like that distance as the challenge. Um, I, but I, I, I also want to do more 50s. I want to do more sporty ones as well, like Transvolcano and stuff like that. I want to hunt out those more. Yeah. It's not the most enjoyable one I've done. It's the least enjoyable 100 I've done. And that's because I think it's just the nature of the route. Ultimately, my point of self-reflection, I could point to a lot of things that didn't go right. I could point to the heat and I could point to my shoes and I could point to blisters. The long and the short of it is I did not do enough training. And I know I didn't do enough training and things conspired against me and I didn't have enough of a buffer. And so this has motivated me to say, you need to do it. I've only done like 18 runs this year before this race over five months. It's just not good enough. And yes, I mean, I was able to run at a good pace for the first 50K, but it's a hundred miler. So take it more seriously, Thane, and do the training. And it's partly a life thing. I don't have, I can't run into the commutes and work. I've got laptops and this. I, I, I don't go to the same office all the time. But I need to make time in my life to do the training. You're right to say it, but I think it takes a bit of courage to say it. So, you know, well done for doing that. If you'd done the training, all of the little bits and pieces that you that didn't work for on the race would have maybe affected you, but they wouldn't have stopped you from finishing. Yeah, completely. And... I think that's shown, and and the, let's by the way big up someone who I know listens to the podcast, a guy called James Scott, who we met last year at Transylvania. He did fifteen hours and four minutes at Transylvania last year. It was Transylvania yesterday. He ran it again in drum roll, please. Eleven hours and three minutes, which is a amazing. It's time. an amazing time. But we've been following him on Instagram over the years, over the over the last year. And he has been dedicated. Yeah. Just going, running up and down the hills in the Breckens at weekends for days. Yeah. Really training hard. And I think his result, you know, Jane, amazingly well done, but it's testament to what proper dedicated training can yep. do. Yeah. And that was a kind of a wake up call watching him yesterday online. We're following a number of people online. Yeah. And it's like, my word, he's, you know, <laughs> he was like, he was in basically the top 200 of what 1700 runners or something yeah, absolutely um, amazing all the way through the race and it's like wow it was just incredible yeah and that, that was the the proof if proof i needed that you know what it's prior planning and preparation prevent yeah poor performance <laughs> and uh you know that is that's you know yeah so i don't know if we've actually said it yet but you didn't make the cut off at 85 yeah miles. yeah yeah so you pulled there um and, and, just and of the 375 starters less no 375 entrants entrants less than half actually turned up or finished correct my mate worked out it was a 52 percent did not start or did not finish and that's the did not start was much higher because they were commenting that at the start a lot of people hadn't turned up and maybe they'd seen the weather and thought nah not doing yeah. it so, so uh, you know it's, but of, of those that actually started, yeah, 42% drop, 43. Yeah, that's, that's quite a high drop rate for a flat course. It, is, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Yeah. So look, in summary, fair amount of this might have sounded like a negative podcast. That's not how we'd intended it. And I'm sure if Thane had finished, it wouldn't have felt like that. None of the blame for any of that, as you've said, can be levelled at Centurion running. There are bits and pieces we think they could do better. It was a well-run race, not from the runners, but from, I think it was organised organized yeah, yeah. quite well. They have a, a deserved reputation. Did their amazing reputation make me expect there to be sort of marble bathrooms and, um, you know, uh, amazing Michelin-style food? Yeah, and that's completely unreasonable? Yes, probably. The aid stations were as good as anything could be. The staff were amazing. They were really professional. And it was a good race. I'm glad I've done my first 100-miler. And what we need to do you now is get you ready for Spine Fusion. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. 
Uh, please subscribe to the podcast, whichever using whichever podcast app or subscribing technique you like. And you can follow us and contact us. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Runners on Trail. You can contact us by Gmail, Runners on Trail, gmail.com. Yes, you can. Or to put it another way, you can contact us on email, runners on trail at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so look, join us in June. Not quite sure what we're going to do yet, but we'll, we'll wing it. Certainly in July, we'll probably be talking about things, spine fusion, potentially about the race I'm going to do in July, which I still haven't picked yet. I've got one in mind. It's going to be a bit of a Ooh. get to get to um, in Ooh. time for the start of the race. You I haven't told me. No, I know I haven't told you. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, in August, I'm guessing we'll probably end up doing at the end of August, we'll end up doing maybe Squamish or that might, we might save that for September. But of course yeah. in September, we've got Green Man coming up. And then in October, I've got the Snowdonia Road Marathon, oh, which yeah. I'm going to do. And I think that's going to be interesting. And I, I know we're runners on trail, but I think it's still be worth doing it's a, a podcast. Road marathon. Yeah, very hilly road marathon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so join us in June. on trail.